Tonight, we're going to look at a message that I'm going to call Thinking About the Cross and how do we think about the cross. And maybe later in our Q&A session, we'll have some thoughts from you on your thoughts about the cross. But so much to cover here, so let's just dive right into it tonight. I'm reading from Mark chapter 10. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed. That word could also be translated condemned. To the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Now, I want you to circle the next few words that I'm going to call out to you. They will sentence, you can circle that. They will sentence him to die, you can circle that. Hand him over to the Romans, they will mock him, you can circle that. Spit on him, circle that word spit. Flog, flog him with a whip, and kill him, circle the word kill. Look at the amount of violence that's going to happen to Jesus that he's telling the disciples about, okay? This is the third time that he's told them this, and it's still not sinking into them yet. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your... Now, this is prayer. I won't use... This is prayer. This is you and I talking to God, although I have never gone to the Lord and say, Lord, would you do me a favor? I just typically ask, but this is how they start their prayer. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. You're going to be the king of kings. We want to be the prime minister and the president, okay? But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup? And the word cup in the Old Testament is always, and if you look in the book of Revelation, we talked about this when we did the series on Revelation, always has to do with judgment, the cup of suffering. He says, are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink from? And I just lost all my notes right here. So somebody bring me an outline so I can read. Here, they're back. They're back. Wow. I was just like, whew. Let me get back to where we're at. Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, I read this passage, and I have to tell you, I am leveled again. Every time I come to these passages where Jesus predicts and tells us, and they're all based upon Old Testament prophecies. Uh, we could look back at those, and we have looked back at those many times over the years of how these fulfill Old Testament prophecies, but I'm always leveled when I read these. And sometimes it puzzles me when I talk with people, 
And it's like, I, I see them, their eyes kind of glaze over when we talk about the cross, when we talk about the sufferings of Christ. But you let a cat kill a bird in their front yard and they fall all to pieces. You let a deer get hurt. I hear people, I can't believe you shot Bambi, you know. And yet you get to the talk about the cross and people just kind of, it doesn't move them. And I ask myself, how can we be moved more by a sparrow being killed by a bird, I mean by a cat? There's a few sparrows that come to my yard. I'd be happy for a cat to come visit for a little while. But how can we be so moved by that and that the message of the cross becomes old to us, especially when we think of what it means about our eternity? So as we prepare to study this, let me pray for us all, and let's just ask the Lord to open our eyes in a fresh way to Jesus' death upon the cross and how we think about the cross. Father, we thank you. What a story. What a story about our salvation. What a story about your grace. And Lord, there is no illustration that I am going to be able to use that's going to do justice to what you did at Calvary. There's no sermon I'm ever going to be able to preach that, Lord, is going to be able to fully explain or illustrate, God, what you did for us. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts here, to our friends watching online tonight and those that will watch later. Speak to our hearts and let the story of the cross move us again, I pray, for it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen and amen. I'm so glad that Keith mentioned to you about our friend day on Sunday. Do you know I've actually gotten comments from my friends, some of my friends that I've never invited to Woodland, but friends that I've invited this time, and they go, I am so honored. I'm so thankful that you, you've asked me to come and be at your church. I got a, uh, an email just telling me saying, we're so honored. We're looking forward to coming and worshiping with Becky and you. So I, I hope that you've issued invitations. There are people just waiting to be asked to come to church with us. And I'm really, really excited. And I hope you'll pray with me that the Holy Spirit is going to touch people's lives as we continue this series on Sunday morning. I'm calling for influence. Well, how I think about the cross can really change my life. The way you think about the cross, the way I think about the cross can be life-changing. Now, some people that I've pastored through the years, they struggle with the message of the cross. It's, they feel condemned. They, they, they can't comprehend it. Some people that I've pastored through the years, they think too little about the cross. And then some of the people that I meet in our community from time to time, they'll ask me questions about the cross and it confuses them. The whole idea that Jesus had to come and die for our sins. I mean, it sounds kind of bloodthirsty, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest, in the eyes of modern people today, we, we read stories, remember reading about Agamemnon, the, 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 the warrior who sacrificed his daughters because the gods were angry with him and wouldn't let him get to Troy. So he, he sacrificed his daughter so that he could get favorable winds to get to Troy. You and I, we, we look at those bloodthirsty rituals and all of the Greek mythology, Roman mythology, Norse mythology, and we think, oh no, we're, we're beyond that. Well, the reason we're beyond that is because Christ came and shed his blood for you and I. And in this passage tonight, Jesus is 100% completely clear about why he has come to you and I. And when Jesus, why he's come to die, but when Jesus tells this story, James and John, they're not moved by it. 
You remember what I just said? Sometimes we're not there. This is the third time they've heard it. It just goes whoop right over the top of their heads. It's either they don't want to hear it or it's just having difficulty sinking in or it's spiritual warfare of some sort. Because it's like they don't hear it and all they're thinking about is politics. And they're saying, Jesus, do us a favor. When you become the king of kings, we want positions of power and influence. You know, we, we want a little bit of the action. They've, they're asking God for a blank, leader, a blank check here. You see, if I'm not careful, I'll start thinking about what I want rather than what God wants. And that's the reason I talk about this in the way that I am tonight, because James and John hear the message of the cross. It doesn't change their thinking, and it's still about what I want. There used to be a country music song, I don't want to talk about you, I want to talk about me. Do you remember that song? You know? And it was real cute. So, and you'd hear people every once in a while, they, you'd start to talk about something, they go, no, I don't want to talk about you, I want to talk about me. And it was a, it was a really cute way the country singer had of getting across that people really don't want to hear about your needs and your hurt and your pain. They want you to listen to them about their hurt and pain. But what God wants and what he demonstrated in Christ and what he wants from each of us is servant leadership. And I've recommended to you before, for those of you that are interested in reading on leadership, one of the best books I ever read was simply servant leadership. To deny myself, to deny myself does not mean that I don't think about myself. To deny myself does not mean that I deny things in life. God created me to live and enjoy life. Things are important. The things, that, and, and, and we are not materialistic, but we are not anti-materialism. Does that make sense? Materialistic means that's what we live. Our values in life are based upon materialism, but we're not anti-materialistic. I was talking to a friend today and who's told me, and it just kind of broke my heart. He said, you know, I just wish I could take a pill for my food and, and not eat. God created food to be enjoyed with color and beauty and fragrance and flavor. Think about the smell of warm bread and what that does for you, or the smell of a peach cobbler baking, you know, in your house. It just, there's this feeling that it, that it brings to you. Well, we're we're not anti-materialistic, we're not anti-food, but we don't live for food and we don't live for material things. To deny myself means that I give myself wholly to Christ. To deny myself means I identify with Christ. To deny myself means I take up my cross and follow Christ. So it doesn't mean that I don't have a nice car, it doesn't mean that I don't live in a nice home, or that one that I can afford, but it does mean that Whatever Christ, whatever God calls me to do, His will comes first. And Jesus is going to make it very clear in this passage, if you want to share in my glory, you've also got to share in my sufferings. Okay? If you want to share in resurrection power, you have to share in His suffering. So, first of all, Jesus came to die for you and me. <clears throat> Why is that so huge? Because Jesus is the only religious leader, founder of any religious movement what we call Christianity today, Jesus is the only one that ever did that. Confucius was an example. Buddha was an example. They all wanted to be examples, but none of them wanted to die 
for what they were telling people to follow them for. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Circle that word for right there. That word for in Greek is anti, and it means instead of or in place of. In other words, Jesus became your substitute. So when you look at a cross, when you look at the cross, when we take communion Sunday morning, you see the place where Jesus is giving himself in place of your sin and my sin. When I look at that cross, I don't just see a, a beautiful illuminated cross that we have in our sanctuary. When I see a cross that someone is wearing, I just don't see a piece of jewelry. And Becky and I have seen so many bejeweled crosses in museums. And I've often said to Becky, I wonder if the people who made these crosses realize that the message of that cross is that Jesus died in their place. He, that, that wooden beam that he carried upon his back. So when you look at this word, what Jesus is saying, I'm coming to give myself as a substitute. Uh, Jesus came, the Bible says, and look at this phrase, to give his life is a ransom. Circle that word ransom. That's an important word. Because the word ransom there, we think of it in terms of paying for a kidnapping. But this was a word that was used to replace a slave, to replace someone's life, because that life belonged to the owner. And so what you were doing is you made a large payment to replace the life of that slave. So whatever the value, so to speak, of that slave was to the slave owner, the word ransom just simply meant whatever you're worth. My, when my, and, and, and I can't wait to get to heaven because there's a question I really want to ask my daddy. He never told anybody. When my daddy got married, um, the minister said, um, he asked my, my dad, asked him how much I owe you. Minister said, well, just pay me whatever you think she's worth. My daddy would never tell anybody what he gave them. And my mama, she could never get it out of him either. So when I get to heaven, that's the first thing I'm going to ask my dad. But he's probably going to say it's all under the blood. It's all under the blood. He gave his life as a ransom. I, I want you to see how important this is tonight because all, if you want to understand what Jesus did, think about kids, think about grandkids, think about children. If you're going to raise healthy children to become adults, you basically replace what you want to do with what they want to do for the next 10 to 15 years. You read to them books that don't mentally challenge you until they get into the new math that they're doing today. My old math still works better than theirs, I think. You know, you, you, you read books to them. You, you listen to stories. You sing stories. You, you cry with them. You grieve with them. You answer why questions. And you learn that when they become teenagers, oh, my goodness, for every criticism you have to give about their room or their homework or their clothes, if whether they've washed them or not, you got to give them five affirmations to make up for that criticism that you give them, or they just feel like their whole world is being destroyed. My son sometimes will say to me, he says, you know, Dad, I just didn't listen sometime. He goes, marriage is a lot more challenging. Raising children is a lot more challenging than I ever thought it would be. And I said, son, that is true for everybody. 
And, and even today, I've had two appointments talking to people about raising children and how challenging that can be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, forgiveness is always a form of suffering. Forgiveness is always a form of suffering. And the reason he said that is because when you forgive somebody, you absorb their debt. And what Jesus was doing in giving his life as a ransom, he was absorbing my debt. He was absorbing your debt. You absorb the pain of how you've been hurt or injured. You absorb the suffering that that's brought into your life, and you don't try to exact vengeance upon them. It's the reason why I think parental love is probably some of the most self-sacrificial love that I'm able to illustrate to people with is because you literally have to put your life in place. I don't know if you've read any of the Harry Potter books we did with our kids because we wanted them to, you know, not to be challenged or sneak around on us. So we read those Harry Potter books with them. And one of the moving stories in the very first book is Lily Potter. Could you believe you came to church to hear about Harry Potter tonight on the, on the month of October? Uh, Harry, Lord Voldemort tries to kill little Harry as a baby. And Lily gets between Harry and Lord Voldemort, and she absorbs the, the, the curse, or she absorbs the, 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 the lightning bolt that she, he tries to, to throw at Harry. And in the process of protecting her son, she dies. Well, later on, if you read the story, later on when Harry's a little older, Lord Voldemort tries to kill Harry. And when he tries to kill Harry, he instead severely injures himself. And Harry is so confused by this that he goes to Dumbledore and he asks Dumbledore, if you haven't read the story, he's like the head of the school they go to. Dumbledore tells him, he says, listen, why couldn't he touch me? And Dumbledore says, your mother died to save you. Love as powerful as your mother's for you leaves its own mark. Not a scar, no visible sign. To have been loved so deeply will give us some protection forever. And to be loved so deeply by God that Christ would absorb my sin, absorb the judgment. Remember the cup of suffering? He would absorb the judgment of my sin. I am safe and I secure for eternity. Can you say amen to that? Now, isn't that moving? You didn't think there was anything that you could find redemptive in Harry Potter. But there's something there for you and I to see. Because we understand it makes perfect sense when you look at it that God loves the world. He doesn't hate the world. God loves you, God loves me, God loves our enemies. Which leads me to the second little point here is God is so incredibly just and loving that he was glad to die for our sins. God was so incredibly just and loving that he was glad to die. I want you to get that. Write those words down. He's incredibly just. Sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. The only reason you and I will be in the presence of God is because Christ's blood has washed us free. But he's also incredibly loving that he was willing and glad to die. Was the little girl, and I'm just trying, just I'm chasing a little rabbit here, but remember the, the um, Northwest Airline airplane crash that happened right here? A little girl, Cecilia, was that her name? Cecilia, I thought it was. I, I remember when I moved up here and I heard that story, it just, it crushed Becky and I. 
of how her mother unbuckled her seatbelt, got down on the floor of the plane, and literally wrapped herself around the baby to protect that baby, not only from the crash, but from the fire. And at first, they didn't think Cecilia was on the plane. They thought that, you know, this was some other child. But when they went through the manifest, they saw that the mother had put her name on there as well. Her life, giving her life, protected that child in the crash. Friends, she was glad to lay down her life for her child. When we talk about glad, we're not talking about I'm happy to go out and get hurt or injured. I don't invite suffering. I don't invite persecution. But for my family, for my church, for my friends. And Jesus said, as we looked at just a few weeks ago, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I don't know about you, but that moves me tonight. Now, there's something else you need to understand here. Because you've often heard, and I've said it over and over, God can do anything, but God can't lie. The Bible says God can't lie, but God can't speak forgiveness into existence the way he spoke the planets and the stars into forgiveness because he's incredibly just. Do you get it? Because he's incredibly just, he just can't speak it into existence. There is a debt that has to be paid, and so he absorbs into himself our sin so that we can be forgiven. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. He did not give up because of the cross. Oh, on the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him, he thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And I love the good news translation here because this is probably the strongest, one of the better translations from the Greek here. Because what you see is, Jesus didn't give up because of the agonies or the suffering, but the disgrace. There are some things I don't mind agonizing over. There's a young couple from our church who's moved away now. I've been praying with them last night and today on the phone. They're having a baby tonight, and they've been agonizing today. They're going to have a baby this evening. She's happy. They're happy to agonize for the birth of this baby they're happy for the suffering of whatever it might take, and they're willing to put their lives on hold for the next 10 to 15 years as they raise their daughter to become a responsible adult herself. But none of us want to agonize or suffer because of disgrace in our life. I'm honored by the good things that people have honored, uh, have agonized and suffered for, but I don't want to ever agonize and suffer because I've been evil or wicked or immoral. Or Does that make sense? And cursed is he, the Bible says, that dies upon a tree. Because when you looked at someone dying on the cross, and I think this new series that I keep talking about that everybody's watching, The Chosen, when Jesus pauses and looks at that cross and that man is suffering on that cross, what a moving moment that was. Because people would walk by and mock you and spit at you and things of that nature. Well, I got to keep moving. Believing this, believing this changes you from the inside out. So don't struggle with the fact that Christ would come. This is not a bloodthirsty religion. This is a payment of our sin and our debt. You're not appeasing the wrath of an angry God. God so loved the world that he came. Do, do you get the difference? 
Agamemnon was trying to appease angry gods and sacrificed a daughter that had done no wrong in the sense of, of you know, his ambitions. You and I, however, we did sin. And we did fall short of the glory of God. And God loved us so much, he was happy. But don't treat it so cavalierly that you just go, oh, the cross again. Oh, the cup and the bread again. But let's appreciate what God did for us. You see, James and John's worldview, it was all about power and pride. They heard this, and even though it was the third time they heard it, they still come to Jesus with two things in mind, power and pride. Let me, let's just look at them. Let's just remind ourselves. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus began to tell them the Son of Man must suffer, would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead as he talked about this openly with his disciples. I mean, this means they were having conversations about it. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. He talked about this openly. Let me show you four things real quickly that when you think about the cross properly, it will do for you. The cross will humble you mentally. The cross will humble you and me mentally. Again, let me show you how not to begin your prayer. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So Jesus says, what do you want me to do? So imagine tonight, every one of you, you're going to want to pray tonight before you go to bed. And Jesus is just going to be looking at you tonight, I believe, saying to everyone, including me, saying, what do you want me to do? Now think carefully before you ask him what you want to do. Arrange it, they said. Now here I'm going to use the message. Arrange it, they said, so we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory. One of us at your right hand and the other at your left. They didn't have a clue that what Jesus was telling them They're going to see his glory. They're going to see his justness. They're going to see his holiness. They're going to see his mercy. They're going to see this all at Calvary. Now, I know what you're thinking because I've thought the same thing. Or maybe you're not as callous as I am. Maybe you're not as hard-hearted as I am. You're thinking to yourself, how can they be such idiots? Right? And it was like the Holy Spirit tapped on me and says, how can you be such an idiot sometime?" So here's a question I want you to write down. How am I acting idiotic? Okay? How am I acting idiotic in my prayer life, in my expectations of what I want God to do? Where am I not getting it at? Because I think that's part of the message here for us. We keep, we're three times now, they've not got it, and and they come with this prayer about themselves I want to talk to you about me, God. I don't want to talk about you. I want to talk about me. I don't want to talk about your will. This is my will. The cross, secondly, humbles me politically because this has got a lot to do with politics. We want a place at your right hand and your left hand. And how is politics done today? Very confusing question, I know. Very confusing question. But politics is all about power and pride. How can I make people do what I want people to do? That's basically, I mean, a, a little congressman from Florida managed to get six other people together to oust the Speaker of the House 
And we have been in a, in a turmoil ever since. I'm not making a political statement about Democrats and Republicans. I'm just making a common sense statement. We've been in a political turmoil. And now we've got this basically unknown. The only encouraging thing that I've heard today is somebody told me that the man that is now Speaker of the House is a passionate follower of Christ. But I've got to tell you, I'm just a little bit jaded. I'm tired of hearing people talking about being passionate followers of Christ, running for office, and then not living for Jesus. I'm tired of pastors that talk about living for Jesus and then not living for Jesus, and plumbers doing that. Let's be who we say we are. And so I pray that he is, but the point is, tonight, if this man really wants, and I just what a great way to illustrate, if this man really wants to make a difference then maybe we should think about, he should think about Mark 10, verse 42, where Jesus said, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, and when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. Let's read that together out loud. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, and when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to his head. Our new Speaker of the House has the opportunity, whether he's in there for just a few days, you can't ever tell anymore, whether he's in there for a year and a half or two years, he has a real opportunity as a Christian to show what servant leadership is all about. And please believe, I'm not being critical of him. I'm just a little jaded right now on all these things. This is so important that Israel, when Israel went into captivity, the Lord said to them basically, don't do guerrilla warfare. Don't become like Hamas. Don't try and harm the city that you... You're captives, but I'm still in charge. You're slaves, but I'm still in charge. I'm in control. You may not like this, but sin is, where, is what's brought you to where you're at. So when you go to Babylon, look at Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Can you imagine what would happen if Hamas and the PLO had worked for the welfare of all of Israel rather than seeking to destroy Israel? Can you imagine the difference rather than the countless lives and the wars and everything that has happened and the suffering and the poverty. I was having lunch in the Ford Concept dining room one day with a group of men that I'd led a Bible study for. And I looked out the dining room window there, and there was a brand new Chevrolet Caprice parked right there in Palo or whatever, right there in front of the window. Everything else was Ford's in the parking lot. And I said, what's the Caprice doing out there? And all the guys sitting around the table, we're enjoying lunch together. They go, oh, there's a guy here. He works for Ford, but he's mad with Ford. So he drives and buys a Chevrolet and parks it right here so everybody can see it. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, well, that's kind of funny, you know. And then one of them says, but what he doesn't realize is he's hurting his own self. He's hurting his own self. And the point is, if you... If you're, going to be, if you're going to be selling soft drinks and you're going to sell Coca-Cola, don't let me come to your house and find Pepsi-Cola. If you're going to be selling Fords and telling me that your dealership, that Ford is the best car around, don't let me come to your house and find you driving a Chrysler. In other words, live out your faith. 
And that's what Jesus is saying here. The third thing is the cross leads me to joy and humility. Joy and humility. And let me see if I can illustrate it like this. We as Christians, once you get that wrote down, I want you to look at me because this is important. We as Christians, we don't do good works in order to go to heaven. Our good works is not what saves us. I talk to some folks in some faiths around here, and it's all about their good works. We as Christians do not do good works in order to feel good about ourselves because that's just as selfish as doing good works to go to heaven. We as Christians joyfully serve because we want to be like Jesus. That's why we serve. And you know when you found people that are in love with Jesus because they're living like Jesus. They're forgiving like Jesus. They're helping like Jesus. Does that make sense? We don't do it. And so if we're doing it for good works, then how many good works is it going to take? If we're doing it to feel good about ourselves, you're never going to fill that cup as long as you're trying to be self-satisfied. The way that cup is filled is by the Holy Spirit filling that cup to overflowing. Amen? The humble will have joy after joy in the Lord. Isaiah 29, verse 19. Look at Matthew 5, verse 3. I want to use the amplified version here. Blessed, happy to be envied, spiritually prospered, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions. You didn't realize blessed meant that much, did you? Look at it again. Blessed, happy, to be envied, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation, regardless of their outward conditions, are the poor in spirit, the humble, who rate themselves insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jimmy, John Boy, it's not about getting places of pride and power. It's about simply walking with Jesus. And then finally, there's one other thing that I want to point out about this verse. How did they learn this lesson? How did they learn to appreciate the cross? They learned it in community. The Bible says they were on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Tonight, we may not see him. We may not even feel him, but we're a community of faith both here and online. We're a community of faith that we're walking together and Jesus goes ahead of us. As a matter of fact, in the words of that great Irish prayer, is Christ above us, Christ beneath us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ all around us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you and I thank you so much for the cross. And Lord, there's no sense in my even praying, may I live worthy of the cross. It just makes more sense for me to say thank you for the cross and to enjoy the new life. Help me not only to welcome the blessings and the privileges of walking in the kingdom, but, Lord, to be willing to suffer with you, for it's in Christ's name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen.